You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven and Arthur Parkinson. And this week, we're going to talk about alliums, the whole allium family, which is totally incredible and one of our very favourites, from the ornamental alliums, like the crazy big sparklers, to wild garlic, which is in all our woods at the moment, and I'll give you a recipe for that, and down to chives, which of course are a brilliant edging for any veg garden. So, go Allium, Arthur. <laughs> well, what a fabulous group of plants they are. I was going to say bulbs, but they're, I suppose they're not all seen as a bulb. But it's really funny because last night I was looking through your beautiful new book. Thank you, Arthur. And I was trying to look at what my favourite photo was. And it's a photo which is a bit of a classic one of the Oast Garden at peak Allium time when the last of the late tulips are going over in the long toms and they're just surrounded by this purple mauve sea of gorgeous glitterati disco ball flowers which are the alliums and famously in your rose garden the alliums really do take it by storm from the end of april right up until almost june isn't it because Mm. scabertii is the last one which Mm. i know you love because it's your favorite one to put in the christmas tree yeah but the the show really starts doesn't it with um the classic stalwart purple sensation which just makes it to join the last of the late tulips so i always love planting purple sensation with a late variety of tulip called blue parrot which isn't blue but lilac and so they're the most perfect cousins of purple you've got the beautiful smoky purple of blue parrot and then you've got proper purple from purple sensation but we both know don't we that alliums are gorgeous as flowers but in terms of foliage they are a bit of a nightmare because you get a strap like mm. leaf but we've both discovered haven't we a way of getting around it which and the fact is that the leaves come up very early mm. and anyone who's grown alliums will notice that alliums are almost the first bulb that pip the garden soil as early as january in in a sheltered place yeah absolutely and chives too february yeah but what that means is these these bulbs unlike a tulip are photosynthesizing from the word go yeah and so the bulbs by the time the flowers open have already stored enough of that goodness to ensure next year's flower so what i do as soon as the foliage starts to look brown and tatty on the ornamentaliums so purple sensation uh, scabertii and christophii is i carefully pull off most of the leaves and that allows other things around the alliums to start to grow themselves so if you've got alliums in a mixed herbaceous border you can do that safely by the time they're in flower without harming next year's show so that's my top tip for alliums in a border yeah well i i remember um walking into the emma bridgewater factory in stoke-on-trent when you were the gardener there three years ago and i, I remember walking into the courtyard garden and there was the most it must have been late may early june Mm. I think I was there for the literary festival actually and um yeah, it, would it was been. the most incredible sight of all these different alliums so you had purple sensation and then you had the one called is it called purple rain 
Yeah, I yeah, think it Purple is. Purple Rain. Yeah. yeah. And then Violet Beauty, which is a yeah, little a more movie one. one. And then the huge, crazy Schubertii. And anyway, so you had these sort of glades of different heights mm. and shapes of Allium flower. And then rocking up through them, adding to the sparkler firework display, but like a rocket, so vertical rather than globe-like, were foxgloves. And it was just, it was just totally, it was like seeing the most beautiful painting in the National Gallery. It was just like oh. knocked me out. And that is a, a combination that I've copied here ever since, uh, which is foxgloves, which of course are biennial. And so you sow them in May or June. So now, just when the alliums come into flower one year, you sow your foxgloves to plant with your alliums for the following year. Such a year. good tip. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a really good nudge. And yeah. you had it with that beautiful soft pink one called Sutton's Apricot mainly I think mm, yeah, and and right. I'm not normally a mauvey pinky kind of girl but I just loved the the soft shelly pink of Sutton's Apricot Digitalis and then these crazy sparklers of all these alliums and you'd removed all the foliage just as you say which is absolutely key and then also Really pretty quickly, you want to harvest the flowers or the seed heads before they seed. Because otherwise, what we found here in the Oast Garden is that the Allium Purple Sensation, quite honestly, just self-seeded so much because we put lots of grit into the soil to help them naturalize. But they naturalized so effectively, they were just canopying over almost all our interesting perennials. So only strong things like flocks and crocosmia survived, whereas all the more delicate things, I, I don't know, we, we had various sanguisorbas and stuff, and, and they just went because literally the foliage of the alliums just sort of sat on top of them and then rotted down over them and, and they just succumbed. So you do have to be really careful not to allow too many alliums to seed and also to remember, so to take the heads off and to take the foliage off. And then, as you say, Arthur, it's it's uh, spray-tastic, isn't it? It's, yeah, it is at Perch Hill. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing better than alliums <laughs> on a Christmas tree. And I've tended to do them silver in the past, but because I'm trying to move to being more environmental and I'm not sure about spraying with silver paint, this year, Christmas 2020, you and I painted every single one of our alliums with different colours, so a rainbow of colours. Mm. And I thought it looked absolutely it marvellous. It was like a Vivian Westwood catwalk show, that, that silver birch Christmas tree. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah. all of those alliums are safely tucked up in a box and they'll last for years. Yeah. So It, it is does like, preserve them. Yeah, it does preserve them. You're not, you don't have to do it every single year if you look after the heads. Yeah, that's right. And just tissue paper between each one, because otherwise, what I find with aliens, oh yeah, like an octopus. Yeah, yeah. they're like they say so they. And then when you try and pull one octopus away from the other, they actually <laughs> yeah. pull each other apart. <laughs> so you end up with all the lovely wands just sitting in the bottom of the box, and just with a rather ugly little stump in the middle. Um, so you need to wrap each one. It sounds really fussy, but I'm not a fussy person. But wrap each one just in a bit of tissue paper and put them away in the attic with all your Christmas decorations and they'll be there in 20 years time basically so yeah I, I'm a I'm a big big fan and the other one that I think we grow really quite a lot of here is called spherocephalon which means round head sphero if you look at the Latin derivation of it 
And that comes in July, even into August. And so if you, you start with purple sensation as the earliest, then Christophii comes next with violet beauty and purple rain. And then you move on to Schubertii and then finally Spherocephalon. And with that succession, you really get an allium in the garden from the middle of May till certainly early August. And those are the sort of whopper ones. But of course, we've got to remember the smaller ones like Unifolium and Cernum, which is another one. And those I use particularly as edible flowers here. So just like the chives, uh, Kawania is another very pretty one. And you can just scatter them over salad. And they're called Society Garlic. There's another plant actually called Tumbagia, which is called Society Garlic. But, you know, in theory, it's called Society Garlic because it doesn't give you bad breath. And actually, all those alliums scattered over a salad or a soup is like adding garlic, but it doesn't give you halitosis. So that's why it's called, <laughs> they're called Society Garlic. And um, I don't know about you, but don't you notice the unbelievable busyness of bees and then early butterflies? Yeah, incredible. Particularly on chives as well, in a, in in you know, the herb bed, a, a little clump of chives with those pink flowers. The the bumblebees are just besotted with them, and as you mentioned, the the drumstick alliums in particular, they really come out at a time when nectars can be quite limited. Yeah, and so we've got lots of those. I like them because the bulbs are so tiny, so you can plant a hundred within you know fifteen minutes. Just dob them in, and they're cheap. Yeah, cheap, cheap and cheerful. Yeah. But it's amazing. The heads start off so tiny and I often think, oh God, they're not going to be a show, but they plump up. So I really like them. I can't get them to naturalise though. I know I know they've naturalised in the perennial garden at Perch Hill. Oh, and they come up with um, eryngiums, don't they? They're absolutely yes. beautiful with that sea yeah. holly, the, the contrast of the, the sea holly flower with that ribena glob. Yeah. Absolutely love them. Yeah, yeah. But with all alliums, their foliage does get tatty. And it applies across the board. And with chives, I've found the best way to get round that. I don't know, they get rust or, yeah, they, they don't look great. Um, but it's a really, really good tip that a wonderful herb grower called Jekka Vicker, who I'm sure you know, the queen of herbs, um, taught me. Yeah, she's good. It is what's called the herb haircut. So just like, as Arthur said, with the ornamental onions, we're cutting the foliage almost as soon as the flower buds start to form. With chives, you do kind of the same, which is, so they come up in February. We start picking chives here in March and April, but by May, they're running up to flower. And we grow two types, well, actually three types of chives here now. So we grow purple, normal purple flowered chives. We grow white flowered chives. So they are actually, if you look at the leaf it's round if you cut into it in cross section and then we grow a third one which is garlic chives which has got a flat leaf so there are two white ones but anyway with all of them you need to cut them to the ground as soon as they start running up to flower so as i say with ordinary chives that is normally by the middle of may so we'll cut them right to the ground so there's nothing left at all and we will water them and we will feed them with a potash-rich fertilizer. So whether it be comfrey juice or you could use tomorite as you would on your tomatoes. But we, we are organic here, so we would make our own comfrey juice or even comfrey pellets. And up they'll shoot. And you'll be picking your chives again, I promise you, within 10 days to a fortnight. It's amazing how quickly they come back. 
And you want to do that again and then again. So we will do our chive herb haircut, as we call it, three times in the year. So once in May, once in July and once in August. And then you get lovely fresh growth coming back straight away. And so with fresh growth, you also get the most high concentration of essential oils. And so, of course, the most flavor in your herbs. And that kind of leads into just saying, do that with all your perennial herbs. So your mm. perennial herbs include mint, chives, lovage, fennel. Can you think of others? Tarragon. I think that's probably yeah. about it. So not the tender perennials, so not pelagonium. And you cut those to the ground as soon as they run up to flower. And then do exactly the same, water, potash feed, up they shoot again. And you will have lovely fresh mint, even in September, October. Whereas if you've let it come up to flower, all the flavor's gone out of it. And the energy of the plant has gone into forming seed and flowers, not more leaf. And you say, Arthur, you went picking wild garlic in the wood this yes, weekend. Yes, it did just yesterday. It was amazing. I mean... um, more wild garlic. It seems to be the case where, you know, some woodlands are just carpeted by it and other woodlands don't have any. I don't know if it means the woodland is old or new. Mm. But yeah, I went on a walk and um, just filled an old bread bag full of it. And um, we're going to try and do pesto. Um, mm. I know we, we probably, how how long does it last once you've picked it? Is it one of those things you should do on the afternoon that you've picked it or can it last a, no, a weekend I in the fridge? Yeah, definitely. And actually, I, I often might even put it in a jam jar of water with yeah. the stems in the water and then you can go on using it for ages. Mm. And then okay. we we make it exactly like basil pesto. And so I would then puree it with a nice, not extra virgin olive oil because it's such a strong flavour. You, mm. you know, it's not worth spending the money on a really Stunk posh... the house out last night, to be honest. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it does. As you go for a walk now, it's like, yeah. woo, knocks you back. But anyway, and so either in a pestle and mortar or in a, in a, in a food processor, a magimix or whatever, you then puree it down with the oil and then some pine nuts and perhaps, I mean, I wouldn't put extra garlic. Some people do, but I, I find that too oh God, strong. I don't think you'd and, need that. And then how we do it to store it actually is we put it in jars, but also I know one of your favorite things in the world, Arthur, is a baked potato. Yes. And I used to love making this for our girls when they were small. So I would three quarters cook a baked potato, having scored round the equator of the potato, not all the way through, but just through the skin with a sharp knife. And mm -hmm. so then as the potato cooks, it, you, it forms a, a sort of groove where you've cut round so that then you can cut the potato very neatly into two halves without it sort of collapsing, if you see what I mean. And you want to three-quarter cook it. So you're cooking it for rather than it being an hour, you're cooking it for sort of 40 minutes, but having scored it round. And then you'll find you can cut really easily through and you've got two perfect halves of a baked potato. And then you scoop out the flesh quite carefully with a spoon so you don't pierce the skin. And in a bowl, mix I think it's wonderful with Wensleydale. So one of those crumbly um, British cheeses and a good tablespoon or two of garlic pesto. So the, the, the stuff that you've just picked and you mix that all together. So it's sort of cheesy garlicky mix with the potato flesh, put it back 
in a really hot oven, piling it up a little bit so that you have something sort of almost brimming over and whack it in for the final 15 minutes and the cheese and everything all melds together and it goes brown on top. Yum, yum, yum. I'll put the recipe in the fat sheet. Please, please do. I'll look it up tonight and have a go. It's dead easy and mm. it's really delicious. And kids honestly do like it because I know sometimes kids don't think they like garlic, but there's something gentler about wild garlic somehow. And again, it doesn't give you halitosis. So there we are. Um, <laughs> so alliums in general are a pretty hard to beat family, I think. And I want to talk also about how you can use them as a natural fungicide. So one of the things that there's a wonderful vegetable grower in Somerset called Chris Smith of Pennard Plants. And his nursery is really fabulous. I absolutely love it. And he has so many interesting varieties of vegetables. But one of the things he taught me was about companion planting and about making natural plant teas to treat your garden. And chive tea is literally made like comfrey tea or nettle tea so that you cut lots of the leaves and put them in water and allow them to rot down for five or six days. And they will rot down and they will release all their minerals into the water. And then you can store that in, I tend to use a glass bottle or even you know, a water bottle, if you've got one of those still, which of course none of us should have, but you can put it in that or a milk carton, you know, a plastic milk bottle and uh, label it quite clearly what's on it. And then I dilute the tea, the chive tea or the comfrey tea or the nettle tea, 10 to one in water. And what we found is by putting that into an ironing atomizer, which creates a spray, if you put that onto any plant, that has a tendency to mildew, like, for instance, our courgettes in the greenhouse tend to get mildew from August onwards because they get dry and downy mildew then proliferates. If we give them a dousing of chive tea every 10 days or so, they remain pristine for much, much longer. So it really is the most incredibly good, high-sulfur, natural sort of plant food or fungicide. And um, I couldn't more recommend it. So I think they are a truly miraculous family, aren't they? I mean, yeah, definitely. And they fill that gap in the garden. You know, if you didn't, it's the typical time when you might have Chelsea Flower Show and you look outside. If your garden hasn't got, you know, alliums and foxgloves and honesty in, you do look outside and think, oh gosh, I've really, where have I gone wrong? Whereas if you've got just a few alliums, they really do bring the garden together. That, that kind of the dreaded May gap, it's called, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. as long as you get that foliage yeah. off them, as soon as the vivid green goes, they are a wonderful plant in pots and in the border. I, I do use them in a bulb lasagna, just about three, three or five bulbs in a big pot. And they go in a layer normally above the tulips mm. so that when it's time to lift the tulips, it's easier to just take the tulips out and I'll try and leave the allium still in flower. And then I'll plant my cosmos and things around those stems. It's quite a delicate job. But it just means while my half-hardy annuals and dahlias are getting their roots down in a pot, there's still some flowers in the garden to look at. So I, mm. I couldn't be without alliums. So alliums would be below the tulips, so you can take the tulips out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So if you were to name one, Arthur, sorry mm. to put you on the spot, I haven't prepared you for this, That's what right. would be your number one? I love, I think, Christophe I the most. 
because it's got brilliant garden presence and unlike purple sensation when you take it into the house to dry it doesn't molt seeds everywhere mm. there was one year where we had a lot of purple sensation about the place and every time we brushed past them it was just like a fire display of seeds and hoover mm. had to come out Ping, um, ping, ping, yeah, ping, and when ping. you've got shelves full of vases and things, it's not a quick two-minute job to tidy up all those seeds. Mm. So I love Christophei because it's big, beautiful, and it looks fantastic at Christmas time sprayed gold. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Actually, while we're just talking about having them in the house, there's another quick tip that I found really useful, which is a good slurp of vinegar or a drop of bleach in the flower water will stop the stems decomposing in the water and so becoming really pongy yeah it's disgusting if you don't do that yeah so you've got to change your flower water every three days at least and Mm. then reapply a good slurp of clear vinegar so it doesn't discolor the water or a tiny drop of bleach and it will really make a difference to them not becoming a bit pungent and just to finish i think probably my favorite is schubertii named after schubert the Hmm. composer And just, I love that thing of it being, it's like a constellation of stars. It's it's one row of stars near the the sort of stem. And then there's another whole constellation of stars, sometimes standing, you know, a good uh, six inches away from the stem. So the whole globe can be up to a foot. And that, for me, is just incredible. (laughs) And the other reason I love it is it doesn't smell oniony. It smells slightly honey-like. So it, it's not a stinky one. And the third thing is, I've got a bed here where I planted it 20 years ago, which I have seen flooded four or five years running because it's quite low in the garden here and we're on clay. And even though they have sat those big bulbs in literally standing water for a few days each year on these certain years, they've come back. And that to me, so it's an unbelievable doer. It's totally perennial. It's incredibly elegant. It's not stinky. It actually smells faintly of honey. It's a fantastic cut flower. And, you know, what what isn't to love about it? And one final thing that that has reminded me of is the now late, wonderful, crazy Italian chef, Antonio Coluccio. We once had a dinner for him here and it was in the middle of May. And as you say, the tulips were over and I just didn't really know what to pick. But the first of the peonies open the day he arrived and I did a lower story all the way down the table of huge fat peonies buds just opening and an upper story of Allium Schubertii. So it was up and down, up and down. And it literally took me 10 minutes, including the picking and the arranging, and it looked fantastic. Thanks for listening, everybody. Next week, I'm really excited because we've got two chefs on the next episode. And they are Sarit and Itamar from Honey & Co, who are great friends of mine and also the most incredible chefs. They have three restaurants now and they have kept going through lockdown several times with doing the most incredible takeaways, which I have been enjoying very, very much. We're going to talk about their new book, which is out in May, about cooking on the fire. So do tune in and listen. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast 
by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.